Scott Immigrant Rights Commission, full commission meeting and special hearing on impacts of federal policies and immigration executive orders on immigrants and communities. My name is Celine Kennelly. I'm chair of the Immigrant Rights Commission, and we are delighted to see so many of you here this afternoon. Uh, at this point, I would like to call the meeting to order. I would like to welcome commissioners and members of the public to this special hearing. We'll be attending to a few business items first, then starting the special hearing uh, on the impacts of federal policies and immigration executive orders. We would also like to welcome the newest member of the Commission, Ms. Angeles Roy. Uh, we are delighted to have you here for your first Commission meeting this afternoon. Um, Angela was recently appointed by the Board of Supervisors. Um, welcome. We look forward to your, your participation and your leadership uh, with the Commission, and it's very special that you're here. For, this is your first meeting. Um, a couple of housekeeping items before we begin. Cell phones silenced, please. Um, invited speakers will be given three minutes to provide testimony. Members of the public will receive two minutes. There will be a bell that will sound at 30 seconds uh, on the countdown to, to zero. And when your time is up, uh, there will be a double bell. So we ask you to please work within the parameters of the timelines. We are excited that we have wonderful attendance this afternoon. Um, we have a lot of good information and testimony to get through, and we want to be fair across the board with everybody. And at this point, will the clerk please call the roll? Commissioner Anzani will be joining us later. Commissioner Fuentes. Present. Commissioner Fuji. Present. Commissioner Geim. It's excused. Chair Canale. Here. Commissioner Kojaste. Here. Commissioner Kong. Commissioner Maldonado. Here. Vice Chair Paz. Here. Commissioner Ricarte. Here. Commissioner Romanenko. Here. Commissioner Roy? Here. Commissioner Wang is excused. And Commissioner Wong? Here. The Commission has a quorum. Thank you, Clark. Our first item of business is approval of the minutes from the March 13, 2017 Full Commission Annual Planning Retreat. Um, are there any corrections or edits to the minutes, colleagues? If you have not yet had a moment to look at them, they are in your packets. Hearing no questions or, or edits, uh, is there a motion to approve the minutes of March 13, 2017? I so move. Thank you, Commissioner. Uh, do we have a second? Second. Commissioner Wang. Uh, all those in favour? Aye. 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 The motion passes unanimously. Pardon me. Commissioner. <laughs> Commissioners, if you could please speak into your microphones. Make sure they are in front of your... Hello. Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Jamie. Okay. 
So our next action item is an approval of the edited amendments to the bylaws. Um, Commissioners, at the last meeting on March 13th, the Commission approved amendment to the IRC bylaws, but recently a few typos and a couple of formatting errors and minor corrections were identified by Commissioner Romanenko. So this item is up for your approval again this evening. Uh, the amended uh, articles, uh, or sorry, bylaws are in your packet. Again, uh, are there any questions uh, about the edits to the amended bylaws? And thank you to Commissioner Romanenko. Um, we knew that editing was your skill. Thank you for bringing it to the fore. Uh, so do we have any questions or comments on the bylaws as presented? Hearing none, is there a motion to approve the edits to the amended bylaws? I'd like to make a motion to approve the amendments. Thank you, Commissioner Kajaste. Is there a second? Second. Commissioner Maldonado, thank you very much. All those in favour? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Hearing none, the motion passes. Thank you all, colleagues. The next item on our agenda is uh, staff updates. Um, beginning with, uh, we will be addressing our uh, Commission planning, our anniversary event and our May 8th full Commission meeting. Director Pan will be providing updates on the anniversary event and the meeting as mentioned. Uh, I yield the floor to Director Pan. Thank you, Chair. Commissioners, just uh, two very quick items. Um, planning for the um, IRC 20th anniversary event will take place. Um, we'll be contacting you. We will have to notice the meeting. And uh, some of you have already signed up to be on the committee, but if you have an interest in serving on the anniversary committee, please come see staff after the meeting. Uh, we are targeting June 12th, 2017 to celebrate, and we're looking at right now at venues, either at the War Memorial City Hall or uh, a nearby venue, and we'll be in touch. I believe uh, Commissioner Fuji has signed up for that committee. And then on the uh, neighborhood meeting, you had asked staff to follow up. We've made the request to the District 9 Supervisor's Office to partner with the IRC for your May 8th, uh, 2017 full commission meeting. This is a neighborhood meeting scheduled to be in District 9, and we will confirm that with the Executive Committee as soon as we've heard back from the uh, Supervisor's Office. If you have any questions, please see staff. Wonderful. Thank you, Director. Um, any questions or comments on either of those events? No. Uh, Commissioner Fuji, thanks for signing up for the, the Anniversary Planning Committee. I would encourage any other commissioners who would like to be part of this planning. This is a big year for the Commission. We are celebrating 20 years of service, uh, and we are looking forward to recognising this 20 years in June, um, and we're looking forward to participation with some of our city leadership, also our, our, our elected officials, and uh, hopefully our mayor. So we look forward to that. Uh, at this point, we shall move on to begin the special hearing on impacts of federal policies and immigration executive orders on immigrants and communities. Please note that this session is being televised. If you wish to speak but do not wish to be televised, Please notify the clerk, uh, who is here on my left, your right, Jamie, prior to speaking, and SFGov will do a wide-angle shot as such. 
if you need language assistance, we have interpreters on site for Chinese and Spanish, which were requested in advance. Since the election and the start of a new presidential administration, we in San Francisco and many other jurisdictions around the country have been disappointed and shocked by the approach and level of negativity aimed at our hard-working, law-abiding immigrants, low-income communities and residents. The Immigrant Rights Commission will not stand for such mistreatment and disrespect of our people who have faced unthinkable hardships barriers and challenges while seeking the opportunity to build better lives for themselves and their families. We are all Americans who seek the same thing, safety, freedom, opportunity, and the ability to thrive and contribute back to our society. So on behalf of my fellow commissioners, we thank the many community service providers and members who have come here tonight to share their stories. You are truly our inspiration. We will begin with invited testimony from community service organizations and experts, and this will be followed by community members. If you have not already done so, please fill out the green speaker card. Melissa is holding one up. Uh, if you would like to speak and hand those to staff, and you will be called in order of submission. Vice Chair Paz will be co-facilitating with me um, from this part on. Uh, we will be calling five names at a time, so please line up or be ready to come to the podium when your name is called. And please identify yourself by saying your name before speaking. So we are going to begin. Our first five are uh, Audrey Yamamoto from Asian Pacific Fund, Lorena Melgarado from Faith and Action Bay Area, Alicia Vafai from Advancing Justice Asian Law Caucus, Chirag Bakta and Sam Moss from Mission Housing, and Carl Larson Santos from La Raza Community Resource Centre. And I apologise, uh, post calling you all out if I mispronounced your name, and I stand to be corrected. So. Uh, Ms. Yamamoto, welcome. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Great. Thank you for having me. And you did pronounce my name correctly. I'm Audrey Yamamoto, and I'm delighted to be here to represent the Asian Pacific Fund. We're a community foundation that is dedicated to improving the lives of Asians and Pacific Islanders throughout the Bay Area. Last year, we distributed nearly $1.3 in grants and scholarships. And we feel it's important for the commission to be aware of the unique needs of the API community that are often hidden from view, given the portrayal of us as being model minorities. For instance, four out of the five ethnic groups with the highest rates of poverty in the Bay Area are Asian or Pacific Islander. APIs have the highest percentage of subsidized housing in San Francisco, and 27% of APIs in San Francisco have less than a high school education. And while we're the fastest growing racial group, we know that less than 1% of foundation funding in the Bay Area goes towards organizations serving our Asian community. So now more than ever, we need advocates like all of you who are committed to ensuring that our immigrant communities continue to have access to support and opportunities that enable them to thrive. A few key concerns for those um, who we serve for you to keep in mind during these times of uncertainty are first, the impact of severe funding cuts. While their scarcity of funding is always a concern of nearly every nonprofit, the implications of the president's proposed budget cuts and executive orders creates even greater anxiety. 
doing all you can to continue to advocate to protect funding for San Francisco's nonprofit community is vital. And as an interim step, sharing any information as becomes available will help nonprofits begin to understand the true impact on their programs and services. Second, looking for ways to step up civic engagement. Last month, the fund, in partnership with OSEA, hosted a convening for nearly 70 executive directors and community partners focused on surviving and thriving in our new political reality. A common thread we heard was a desire to increase their ability to mobilize and advocate on behalf of our community with a collaborative and strategic approach. As you do your work, please know that the API community is motivated now more than ever to come together to fight and be heard. And finally, there's a concern from our youth to continue our commitment to justice and equality. Through our signature program called Growing Up Asian in America, we received nearly 500 entries from K-12 students from across the Bay Area in response to this year's theme, Letter to the Senator. This was in celebration of Senator Kamala Harris as the first Indian American elected to the Senate. It's clear from the art essays and videos we received that our youth are concerned about issues of justice and equality, which is best captured in a quote from a 12th grader. Collectively, we often claim to have achieved equality. However, while the progress we have made is admirable, the journey towards justice is a long and arduous one, and it is still a work in progress. I look forward to that day I know is in our future, a day our radiance is unmarred by injustice, the day we as a country can stand together indivisible and invincible. The Asian Pacific Fund stands ready to be a resource and partner to our immigrant communities as we navigate these uncertain times and stand together indivisible and invincible. Thank you. Thank you very much for your testimony. Um, what we are going to do, just uh, commissioners, we are going to invite questions of our invited speakers after I'm hoping that people can stay. I'd like to leave it um, go through the first 10 speakers and then open to questions if people have questions for individuals. Um, if speakers, uh, if you can let us know if you do need to leave, just in case uh, any of the commissioners have questions for you, please uh, do so. Um, we would, uh, we want to have an opportunity to engage with you and uh, further, further develop the conversation. Our next speaker is Lorena Algarado. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Lorena Melgarejo, and it's an honor to be here in front of you. I want to thank you for cutting this time and making space for our community to speak um, about what's happening right now. And I work for Faith in Action Bay Area. Uh, we're part of the Pico National Network. We are the biggest uh, national organization that does interfaith organizing. Um, we're in about 22 states, and we have many, many congregations that are members. And here in San Francisco, we're Faith in Action. I also work um, as a coordinator for the Archdiocese of San Francisco's um, Human Life and Dignity Department. And so we have been trying to figure out what is the correct response that we can do as congregations of different faiths and as the Archdiocese to respond to what's happening right now. And what we have seen, and I've been working on immigrant rights for about 15, 16 years, doing Know Your Rights and connecting people to resources. We have done that. But what we have seen now that's different than before is that it's not just that people are anxious or a little nervous or confused. 
um, the fear has turned into panic. And literally, um, it's not just the parents, but it's also the children. And uh, in our work, in our congregations that serve and uh, immigrant people, especially Latino and Filipinos, what we see more in our uh, Catholic congregations, the, the stories that come from the parents are not just about what they're thinking, but is questions about what's going to happen to my child if I'm detained. So normally when we do the Know Your Rights trainings, people are at, used to ask, well, what happens if immigration comes to the door or where can I apply for my papers? Um, but now the number one question has been, uh, where is the affidavit of care? What do I do if they come to the door? What's going to happen to my child? And we have seen kids coming and crying and the parents asking us, tell, tell my child that it's going to be okay. So not just as a person that works in the community, but as a mother, I think that what we're seeing right now is beyond any of our experience in the past. Um, and it, it will require something more than just um, the usual kind of response where, you know, we have the agencies and we have the service and the legal providers. We need all that, but we also need to create spaces where we proclaim um, that this city and this county stands with immigrants and not just with just not the city, but the whole community. And that's why um, our, we not only open our congregations to do the Know Your Rights and Defend Your Rights forums and, and collaborate with the city agencies and, and community agencies to do it, but we also decided that we were going to open up space for citizens who are not target for immigration um, to use this energy, this up outrage that they have been showing about the current situation and lean into the moment and figure out ways in which they can act as well. Um, in all these years doing immigrant rights work, I have never seen the kind of response that we're seeing right now from the non-immigrant uh, community. And I think that that's what we have been trying to do the most. And I, and I think that what we're building here in San Francisco can be a model for the rest of the country, not just what um, a sanctuary congregation is or a sanctuary city is, but what does it look like to be a sanctuary as a people? And so we have invested a lot of time training um, people, regular folks from San Francisco, to be the rapid responders that are working with the San Francisco Immigrant Legal and Education Networks hotline. So the people that are going to go verify when somebody calls that there's a raid somewhere, the first responders that are coming within two minutes are actually regular folks from our community that have been trained to do legal observation and verification. Um, and so there, we're creating a space for people to lean into this moment, not just leave it to the agencies or leave it to the city, but how do we as people in a city can also be the sanctuary uh, the other thing that we're training people to do is to become what we're calling accompaniment teams um, by congregations, by neighborhoods, uh, for people to basically be trained to go to court, to go to the ICE check-ins, to uh, become familiarized with a family that is either has somebody detained or somebody going through a deportation so that they don't have to go alone, so that if they need um, money for rent, we don't have to tap all the resources of the city, but we actually can contribute together to figure out how to help a family. And 
I just wanted to share that because I think that the models that we are creating in San Francisco will be useful for the rest of the country in making a different call that is not just about passing legislations, which is very important, but it's also about how do we, as people who have been, are not being targeted right now, need to stand up and not stand on the sidelines in a moment when people are in so much fear. It's the only way that our children need to see us, need to see citizens and not citizens proclaiming that we are, in fact, a sanctuary. And that's just not a law that stands on a piece of paper, but it's something that we have to live into. Um, so today, for example, we went to court with two individuals, and then we went to an ICE check-in. The saddest part of this is that most of the people that are walking into these courtrooms and they're walking into the, the ICE office, they don't have representation. Here in San Francisco, we have this wonderful model where we're representing people either by a low cost or no cost, but the rest of the Bay Area comes here to San Francisco to, to receive services, and there, there just isn't. So we had this one or two families, and the rest of the families just kept on walking with no representation. So I encourage us to, we are, you know, we're building the model of what a city should look like, what a county should be doing, but that we spread the good news and we figure out how to encourage other cities and other counties to do the same and, and to learn from us. So thank you so much for everything, and I hope that everything that we build here can not only stay in San Francisco, but it goes around the nation. Thank you very much. Thank you, Lorena. Um, and I, I think you're right. I think we are seeing a very different scenario this time. I think uh, our, our broader community is feeling the impact. It's not just our immigrant communities. And thank you for the work that you were doing and the trainings that you were doing. If there are any uh, people or community groups in the audience who have congregations, who have community groups, who have just people that want to come together, uh, do speak with Lorena about the Know Your Rights trainings and about the... Um, uh, I've forgotten the name of the second training that you're doing. Uh, the Know Your Rights trainings and the um, accompaniment trainings. The rapid response, that's my word. Thank you. Uh, trainings that are being done. They have had phenomenal attendance with hundreds and hundreds of people attending in parishes across the city and around the Bay Area. And we encourage any members of the community who are here to please attend. Uh, our next invited speaker is Alicia Vafai. Alicia, welcome. Alicia is with Advancing Justice Asian Law Caucus. Hi, good afternoon. Thank you so much, commissioners, for holding this incredibly important hearing and for your leadership on immigrant rights during these really critical times. Um, my name is Alika Vafai. I'm a resident of San Francisco, uh, an attorney at Advancing Justice Asian Law Caucus, where we represent not only Asian Pacific Islander immigrant communities, but Middle Eastern Muslim, Arab, and South Asian communities as well. I myself am Iranian-American. I'm the daughter of Iranian immigrants, and I'm on the board of the Iranian-American Bar Association, a legal group of Iranian-American attorneys. Asian Law Caucus and our partners Council on American-Islamic Relations, two hours after the executive order, the Muslim travel ban was signed. We had clients pouring into our offices, talking about individuals who were stuck abroad, who were making transfers, and who were en route to SFO when the executive order was signed. Since then, we've had over 40 cases at SFO, 
of uh, where individuals have been impacted and we're representing them. Those cases ranges from an elderly Iranian couple who had valid visas that was held for over 30 hours, green card holders who were watched by over six CBP officers when they were detained, and countless Yemeni, Iranian, Syrian uh, families who are here waiting for the visas of their children and their family abroad to be granted so they can be unified. We provided over a dozen Know Your Rights at local mosques in the Bay Area in the two to three weeks that preceded the executive order. And we're part of a rapid response team with a number of organizations at SFO and nationally. The impact on our communities of this executive order are deep and they're still felt despite the fact that this executive order has been put on pause, not resolved or deemed unconstitutional, but put on pause by litigation. We see visa holders, green card holders, and even United States citizens that come from these countries that have a significant amount of fear and anxiety about whether they should travel and how to live their lives fully under the current uh, policies. They don't know if they should travel abroad to visit terminally ill relatives or not. They don't know if their family members' visas are going to go through, despite years of already going through an extreme application process. And they have to make these choices about whether to travel abroad or not. Um, the Iranian American Bar Association has filed litigation on this point. We need to do more Know Your Rights, more direct services that are culturally and linguistically competent, and we need to understand that Middle Eastern Muslim issues are not just national security issues, they are immigrant rights issues. These communities are predominantly immigrant in the Bay Area and should be fully addressed and have relationships with the Commission. Finally, Asian Law Caucus, in support with other organizations, have been working to pass SB 54, the statewide um, legislation that is one of the most pro-immigrant bills in the country and significantly curtails immigration enforcement from being able to go to libraries, to courthouses, et cetera. And so we urge the commission to adopt a resolution urging the California legislator and the governor to pass um, SB 54. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Alicia. Um, our next speaker, if I can get my cards back in order, um, will be uh, Chirag Bakta and Sam Moss from Mission Housing. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you. Just got a little PowerPoint for you. Excellent. <laughs> and I like that you're wearing your Giants themed <laughs> yeah. immigrant rights t shirt. Very, very apropos. Notice to authorities. That's what these new signs say. As you can see, they've been posted at the entrance of dozens of San Francisco buildings. They were put there by Mission Housing Development Corporation after immigration agents went looking for a person in one of their buildings last January. The notice tells officers they must get clearance from the corporate office before entering the property, even if they have a search warrant. It's not our intention to would restrict or withhold any uh, you know, access to our buildings. It is merely our intention to protect our tenants to the maximum of our capacity. Mission Housing would verify each warrant with a lawyer. The agency runs 35 affordable housing buildings in the city. 
Good afternoon, Commissioners. Uh, thank you for having us here today. Uh, I just want to first say that when that incident happened on January 26th, uh, Mission Housing's first thought was for the safety of our tenants and the surrounding neighborhood. And uh, Sharag and I are here today to share with you the actions that we took uh, after the incident to ensure that safety. Yeah, so uh, the number one step we took when this happened was to immediately have a conversation with La Raza, La, with, uh, La Raza Centro Legal, which is in our building, um, to set up a Know Your Rights training for our staff as well as the staff for Caritas Management, which helps manage a lot of our affordable housing buildings. Um, and then also to uh, get our staff, whoever our residents of San Francisco, to get them on the rapid response network, um, and to and to and to make sure that we are involved um, in what's happening. We also had set up workshops um, and know your rights trainings for our residents. We've done seven buildings so far, um, and we've been trained by SF Island and the ACLU to give these trainings to our residents. Um, we've also ordered red cards for every single one of our residents to have on them. We also then went and created our own Mission Housing Know Your Rights brochures, and we were very intentional about not um, just passing out other, pe other organizations Know Your Rights brochures. We wanted one with our logo on it so that our residents had the peace of mind that our organization is backing up their protection in the buildings. And then from there, uh, we worked with La Raza Central Legal and the ACLU to create signs uh, that they mentioned in the piece uh, that we put in front of every single one of our buildings. And essentially, the sign says that no one on site has the legal authority to authorize entry or to verify any other legal entry document that any law enforcement may bring, that they have to bring that to the corporate office, and I myself as executive director have to be there with legal counsel present to verify. Um, and the last thing so far that we've done is our board of directors voted to set aside $40,000 for the Mission Housing Family Stabilization Fund. Um, and essentially, if any of our residents or any of the surrounding Mission neighborhood, uh, if a breadwinner or anyone else is negatively affected by ICE or detained, uh, we wanted to set aside some funds so that we can help with things like rent or groceries or diapers or anything else that uh, you know may be necessary while the family's going through that ordeal. And so, uh, you know, to close, I really just want to say thank you again for having us and that, as we said before, the safety of our residents in the surrounding neighborhood is paramount. And if there's anything that Mission Housing Development Corporation can do to ensure that safety, or if anyone has any further questions, or if there's an organization that maybe wants to know how they can take similar actions to protect their constituents, just please reach out directly to Mission Housing and we, we want to help. And I, we also have brochures here in English, Spanish, and Chinese. If anyone on the commission or in the public would like some, um, we brought a big stack. Thank you. Wonderful, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Thanks for the video presentation and thanks for sharing the brochures. Uh, again, members of the public, if you want to receive one of these, there are copies. Um, I'm sure the guys have some to share, so please uh, do so. Uh, our next speaker is Carl Larson-Santos from La Raza Community Resource Centre. Welcome. Thank you. Good afternoon. My name is Carl Larson-Santos. I am the Immigration Program Coordinator and an attorney at La Raza Community Resource Centre. We are a... Um, 
We provide dozens of immigration consultations every month, and we have hundreds of clients who are members of immigrant communities in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, we provide affirmative and defensive immigration services, as well as a wide range of social services. And we have been serving the community for over 40 years. So for many San Francisco immigrants, particularly in the Latino community and in the mission, we are a first point of contact for legal questions. Um, so thank you for inviting us to speak, and I'm going to share some of the recurring fears we've encountered among the community members we serve. Um, a main issue of concern is around the travel ban. There's a great deal of confusion about this and anxiety that um, transcends the limitations of the actual travel ban that the uh, federal government has tried to put into place. Immigrants from all countries seem now to be worried about travel regardless of their immigration status. We're seeing lawful permanent residents from countries not named in the travel ban expressing fear and apprehension about traveling even for brief travel and even for emergencies. And this is having real impacts in their lives as people are opting not to travel. We have seen a lot of fear around submitting applications for immigration benefits and applying for records requests. And this is having a chilling effect on immigrants asserting their legal rights. Um, one of the most disturbing fears that we've seen is around uh, public benefits. The federal government threatened, uh, I, th I think there was a, a purported executive order around, uh, medic, uh, around means-tested benefits, and our clients are talking about canceling their benefits, um, about not applying for benefits when they're eligible, and there's a great deal of confusion about who this would affect, and um, there have been so many vague statements from the federal government that uh, this is having a really broad chilling effect around the people who need these benefits the most. There's been a great deal of fear, very real fear, about reporting to immigration for people who are under immigration ICE supervision and going to court, whether it's immigration court hearings, family court hearings, um, any type of court hearings. And this is also preventing people from asserting their rights. Um, so it's, it's difficult to allay these fears amidst so much uncertainty. We're doing what we can, working with our partners in SF Island and SF DC and our other nonprofit partners on the Rapid Response um, Initiative. And we are setting up forums and uh, informing people of what they, what they can do in terms of family preparedness and planning for, for the worst. Um, but I appreciate what Lorena said about the importance of everyone playing a role to support and defend our Bay Area immigrant communities. And I hope that the Immigrant Rights Commission can play a leadership role during these challenging times. Thank you. And I have to leave at five, so I appreciate any questions before then. Well, very timely comment from you because uh, the Vice Chair and I had just uh, decided that we were going to take a break for questions at this point uh, so that the initial speakers could have an opportunity to go if you need to do so. I know people have kids to pick up uh, and take care of with school being off. So, um, firstly, thank you all for the testimony thus far. I, I mean, I, I think it never ceases to amaze me the range and breadth of issues. Um, that come to the Commission uh, at varying times, but uh, never more so than now, and issues concerning 
the wide gamut. And Carl, thank you for breaking that down into the in, in order of, of, of concern within the community that you're serving. Um, commissioners, are there any of you that have any questions that you would like to ask of our initial speakers? Um, I'm going to open the floor to you all at this point. Commissioner Wang. Yes, uh, I have a question for uh, Ms. Uh, Yamamoto. And, uh, would you mind moving the microphone closer? Oh. Yeah. You can actually pull it toward you a little bit if oh, you want to. I see. Yeah, um, I wanted to ask you that what is your assessment of uh, how well or poorly are those, uh, the numerous uh, organizations work together? For example, is, is there any, any kind of a central clear, clearing housing to, uh, for the information and, uh, and its uh, dissemination to all the advocacy uh, organizations? Uh, and just to, could you just repeat the part of the question around, you, sent, you wanted to know how well, who is working together, the different nonprofits that we're working with? Yeah, the, the numerous, well they, uh, all, all, you know, numerous uh, organizations. All the different numerous organizations. Nice. Um, yeah, I would say that we are, our organization at the Asian Pacific Fund, we definitely sense that folks want to collaborate and find ways to work together, particularly around their civic engagement efforts. Mm -hmm. um, and some of our grants are supporting that work. Um, but it definitely takes funding to make that happen. Um, and I think a great model for an effective collaboration is one that actually OSEA is, is deeply involved in, which is the San Francisco Pathways to Citizenship, which brought together a group of five or six nonprofits working together to uh, move the needle on those that are wanting to and ready to become citizens here in San Francisco that are eligible to do so, um, and have seen tremendous success. So I think with the right um, funding partners in place, because collaboration takes time above and beyond their core work that they're doing every day, um, and the right partners and leadership in place, we have Self-Help for the Elderly. We're really grateful that Annie Chun there is the lead organization. Um, and I know there's other folks here around the table that are involved with it, but I think that's a really great model to look to um, in terms of how to create something that works for nonprofits to be able to collaborate more effectively. Thank you. Ms. Yamamoto, <clears throat> you mentioned earlier um, that you're also doing work with youth and that one of the issues that they're really, um, that are focused on is justice and inequality. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk more about like how do you engage that youth? Is it in schools or is it in after school programs or? And, yeah, that's a great question. So for us, it really is just one touch point around our Growing Up Asian in America art, essay, and video contest that we do for the month of May in celebration of APA Heritage Month. But we do work with, and so that's where of, of the, over the 500 entries we received, a very common theme you could see from their, particularly from their essays, is their concern around justice and equality. And it gives me hope for that next generation uh, having holding on to those values for us. Um, and then we work with uh, numerous nonprofits here in San Francisco and throughout the Bay Area that work directly with youth throughout the year. So I think you'll hear from CYC, Sarah Wan, who's one of them. So we do grants to those organizations that work with youth on an ongoing basis. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Commissioner Maldonado. Oh, not another person. Okay. Ms. Yamamoto? No. For somebody else. You have a question. Please go ahead. And yeah. for whom? Um, this question is for Lorena. 
Hi, Lorena. I'm just trusting that you can um, help us, you know, think through something that you said that I know in my heart to, it to be true, and also uh, the, the team I work with every day know it's true. And that is the fact that people living outside San Francisco are lacking so much support and so many resources. And they come to us clamoring, and it's not, nothing much you can do. So if you, know, if you have any ideas on how can this be resolved, or uh, what suggestions do you have that we can look towards resolving it in the future? So something that could be useful, especially for the Immigrant Rights Commission in leveraging the relationships that we have and in our position of San Francisco right now in this moment, um, is for counties like San Mateo County, um, Contra Costa County, um, that I think need additional help uh, in figuring out ways and uh, in which to support their immigrant families is if um, there could be some meetings with either the, you know, the, the board of supervisors from those counties or different cities to try to do, um, to figure out how to leverage the, if they could put, for example, I know that, and this is just something that we have, I organize also in San Mateo County and Marin, um, but there, the board of supervisors in San Mateo is talking about maybe a legal education fund, um, but what would it be like if our cities actually or our counties got together and, and talked about a more um, collective response to it since a lot of our courts, the immigration courts are here in San Francisco, so people have to come here. Um, so figuring out is there pots of money that could be used and collaborated together so that people can have those resources available. Um, the reality is that most people... Um, who don't live in San Francisco are not being represented. And we know what that means for those families. And, uh, and, and I also know that SF Island, the folks that receive funding from OSEA, everybody's stretching themselves to try to figure out how to serve everyone, but there's only so much we can do. So that's one idea. Thank you. Thank you, Lorena. Vice Chair Paz. Uh, thank you. Um, I have questions rela uh, related to the travel ban um, to Alika and uh, Carl from La Raza Community Center. And I believe Alika Vafoya used to, ah, hi, thank you. So I think you've mentioned in both your presentations, uh, both in terms of the fear, but also the confusion that's being really promoted of the travel ban. What do you fear are some of the efforts and strategies that the city can engage in to try to sort of alleviate some of this and, and really address it? Because we know it's a real, real issue across all the communities. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, part of the challenge is somewhat beyond our hands. When you have litigation that is literally changing the law week by week, right, um, that part is very <coughs> difficult. Um, one thing that we found really helpful is providing spaces for community-based organizations to come in and do know your rights and have Arabic speakers and Farsi speakers and Urdu speakers there. Um, creating that space for their know your rights is huge. Um, also, several of the cultural community-based organizations, we put out 
Know Your Rights updates in Farsi, in Arabic, etc., helping amplify those updates, helping amplify any of the Know Your Rights uh, would be incredibly helpful as well. Um, but I think as the litigation comes down, right, having a space for us to check in again. So for example, um, if, God forbid, the pause is lifted and there isn't an injunction and this moves forward, um, having a space where we can come together quickly and do rapid response will be incredibly important as things become more clear. Thank you. I, I think this has brought, um, this whole issue has brought to light the, the fact that there is a lot of ignorance in the immigrant community about exactly what the legal contours are of of individuals rights to travel and and that's rightly so because it's extraordinarily complicated and it's and it's obscure and it's um it's difficult often for attorneys to understand exactly when and how someone should travel and who's eligible and who isn't and so i think it's important that we we create these spaces not just to to inform folks of who may be affected by these by this ban, but also what it doesn't do and and who isn't affected by it, and take that opportunity to to share with folks what what exactly they can and can't do. Because I know in our work we've encountered people who, due to a lack of understanding of their of their rights as a lawful permanent resident have jeopardized their status by traveling in ways that they thought was um, were, were okay. And so it's it's an important issue that, that is, has come to light um, even further because of this ban. One, one last thing to add. Part of the challenge of the fear is we've had immigration programs in the past, like the National Security Entry Exit Registration System, that started with five countries and it went up to 25. So part of this concern is like, Pakistani Americans, uh, um, Iraqi Americans, like we know that it could be expanded beyond the 25 countries. The real concern to echo is even United States citizens from those countries feeling like they have to travel with their passports, right? So that to me signals a level of fear, but I don't, um, I don't, think it's ignorant for immigrant communities from other Middle Eastern South Asian communities to be fearful that they may be added uh, to this list. Thank you very much. And one question I have for you. Um, I know that I see reports on the national scale about U.S. citizens from those countries being caught up um, when they're re-entering. Are we seeing much of that locally? Locally, there's a great rapid response team. That's a number of organizations, One Justice, um, you know, ALC Care that are monitoring SFO. And we know the SFO commander has been really fantastic in working with us. So that line of communication is going through and, and we're monitoring. Um, but right now, it's we're more focused on the Know Your Rights pieces and getting prepared for whatever variation could come down based on the litigation. Sure. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Commissioner Kujaste. Yes, I first have a comment. Thank you to all our speakers thus far for your informative presentations and all the work that you do. My first question is for Mission Housing, for Sam and Shirag. You mentioned that you have signs uh, in the front of your housing communities that say that we are unable to allow entry or to verify the authenticity of legal documents. I think that's a great idea, and what I'd like to know is 
Has that been adopted by other housing organizations? And if not, how can we be involved to make sure that happens? That's a great question. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, a couple other nonprofit, local uh, mission-based nonprofit affordable housing uh, and uh, other similar organizations have reached out and asked if we could help them with the signs. Um, and we're happy to help with anyone. Any, if, if, you know, if, if anyone wants to adapt our sign, which we really wrote um, to not be so much affordable housing owner specific as property owner specific or restaurants, you know, it's anything that has a premises with someone who might need to verify a document. Um, and we did that in the hopes that the larger community would respond well and want our help, uh, you know, passing those out. So uh, our website uh, has mine and Shirag's contact information. Uh, the pamphlets have our direct contact information. And if anyone wants to reach out, we're, we're happy to go to your office, happy to talk on a conference call or email and, and whatnot. And the, the letter is in uh, amendable form. So it, we can we can help with that. Uh, the sign is also on our website in PDF form as well. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you so thank you. much. Thank you very much. Wonderful. Thank you. And thank you, Commissioners. Uh, we are now going to move to our next five speakers. Uh, Commissioner Paz, yes. if you could call the names. And I'll be calling the names. And also like to rem uh, remind members of the community, if you are interested in providing some tes testimony or speaking today, please pick up one of these green cards and give it to the clerk. Thank you very much. Uh, so I'll be calling the next five speakers, uh, Cecilia Ascalon from the Filipino Senior Resource Center, uh, Anabeli Rodriguez from La Raza Centro Comunitario, uh, Maritza Villagomez from La Raza Community Resource Center, uh, uh, Moana Bermusa, uh, Bermusa, I hope I got that correctly, and I apologize if I got it wrong, from Asian Women's Shelter, and Angelina Romano from the San Francisco Unified School District. Um, Please step forward, and we'll start with Cecilia Scalon. Thank you. Good afternoon. My name is Cecil Escalon. I am the executive director of the Filipino Senior Resource Center in South of Market. We're located at 953 Mission Street, and I am also the co-chair of API Community Partnership, the API Community Partnership is a group of 33 agencies that strive to strengthen services for seniors and disabled adults. At PSRC, we are providing services to Filipino and Filipino-American seniors and their families, and Filipina breast cancer clients and survivors. Today, I am here to share with you what has been happening in our community. Our seniors and, our fa and families are scared and anxious. Ever uh, since January, some of our seniors have not attended our programs. They don't want to go out of their homes. And the children and the grandchildren are also afraid to go to schools. Our breast cancer clients are hesitant to go to hospitals to go for treatments. Uh, what we have done so far is we have organized, we have collaborated with several Filipino nonprofit agencies in San Francisco, namely SOMCAN, Veterans Equity Center, Canon Keep, Filipino Community Center, and we have done outreach and trainings to uh, our Filipino communities about the Know Your Rights. We have been giving cards, and we have organized community meetings 
and church meetings. We have actually prepared and distributed brochures in Tagalog and in English. But we need your support. We want to inform our community that, the, that San Francisco is a safe place for them, and we cannot do it alone. And, we, and our community members also need to go, where do, we, where do they go? What, is, what are the safe places here in San Francisco? Thank you for inviting me today. Thank you, Cecil. Um, Anabeti Rodriguez? Buenas tardes. Mi nombre es Ana Rodríguez. Oh. Ah. Uh, buenas tardes. Mi nombre es Ana Rodríguez. Eh, soy voluntaria de la raza, comunidad. Eh, es un placer estar aquí con ustedes. Gracias por darle la oportunidad. Um, nosotros, yo soy recién llegada a este país y hay muchos temas importantes, ¿verdad? Como la educación, salud uh, y vivienda que estamos viendo. Eh, es, quería tomar el tema de, de educación. Este, miro eh, las necesidades que hay. We're going to take a brief pause. I apologize. We're going to have our interpreter. Please. Puedes seguir si quieres. Uh, buenas tardes. Sí, eh, gracias. Thank you. Um, hay muchas necesidades. Estoy viendo, eh, siempre me relaciono con mis niños, platico mucho con ellos y veo las necesidades que está, que está pasando en la ciudad, como educación, salud y vivienda. Estamos viendo. Eh, okay. We have so many. Uh, great We have great, great needs. Uh, I always talk to my child, and he and I see through him uh, all the needs for the city uh, in regards to education and health. Education and health. Salud y vivienda. And um, housing. Housing. Thanks. Quería tomar el tema de educación. I wanted to talk now about education. Um, eh, Estamos viendo la necesidad en algunas áreas. En las clases, digamos, eh, de matemática, educación eh, de aquí de San Francisco tiene otro sistema. Uh, for example, in education, let's take, for example, uh, math classes. We've seen some issues. There's a difference in the system. Poder, poder ampliar eh, en esa área Oh, más personal. We need more school staff para poder fortalecer para poder fortalecer a, a esos niños que vienen llegando, verdad, en esas áreas más que todo. So we need more school staff to be able to form these kids that are arriving that are new to this area, like math, for example. Oh, eh, también quería hablar de la vivienda, verdad. I also wanted to talk about housing. Um, eh, la vivienda está muy cara aquí en la ciudad. Housing in San Francisco is really expensive. Y me gustaría pues que hubieran más proyectos, verdad, para poder aplicar a viviendas de bajos recursos. And I would like to see more projects and uh, grants to be able to apply to low uh, housing for low income people. 
Oh, también este, con respecto a la, eh, al trabajo, ¿verdad? No hay muchas oportunidades. In regards to uh, uh, workforce, we, have no, we don't have many opportunities. Más que todos los que vienen llegando que no tienen documentos, ¿verdad? Especially for those that are just arrived to the city and that are the undocumented people. Y se le cierran mucho las puertas, ¿verdad? Puede tener mucha capacidad, eh, ¿verdad?, de aprendizaje, pero eh, no puede aplicar sus conocimientos aquí si no tiene un documento, ¿verdad? So, they Legal. don't have a, a very easy path. Like, they may have a great capacity to learn and work, but they, if they don't have documents or papers, they cannot access to, the, to this workforce. Y lo que está pasando, eh, yo pertenezco a la organización Son Voluntaria, And what's happening is I am a volunteer in this organization. Y estoy escuchando que muchas familias están yendo de San Francisco a la ciudad de Oakland o, o otras ciudades. And I, every day you, you listen about cases of families uh, leaving San Francisco and moving into Oakland or some other cities, surrounding cities. Eh, más que todo, si están preocupadas, no quieren regresar a la organización donde la organización les da muchos ayudos, muchos servicios gratuitos que da. Uh, you see that most of these families are very worried. They don't want to come back to our organization, even if we offered uh, lots of uh, free services and, and support for these families. Ya porque se, tiene, se van, viven en otra eh, ciudad y no pueden aplicar a la a, la, a los servicios que nos dan las organizaciones, ¿verdad? De, And one of the reasons that they cannot come back to our organization is because they are not living here anymore. They are living in a different city, so they are not uh, able to apply and, and for these uh, programs and resources. ¿Qué posibilidad hay que ayuden a esas organizaciones para que a todas esas familias que estamos ya en la organización eh, nos puedan seguir ayudando eh, independientemente de donde se pueda vivir, ¿verdad? So, my question here is, what are the, is there any possibility that you can help us as organization and families to be able to access these resources and programs or offer them even in, uh, independently of where these families live in? Así como eh, lo que es DACA, ¿verdad? Que uh, no, no hay problema en la ciudad que uno esté, ¿verdad? Pero que sí pueda obtener los servicios, ¿verdad? Uh, just like DACA, for example, it doesn't matter where you live, just you can still access to it, you can still apply to it. So. Solamente gracias. That's all I wanted to say. Thank okay. you. Muchas gracias, Ana. Thank you. Ana. Our next speaker is Maritza Villagómez. Hi, good afternoon. My name is Maritza Villagomez, and I'm a social worker, family advocate at La Raza Community Resource Center. At our agency, we've seen a big increase in clients who need assistance navigating our social services system, not only because of the complexity of our system, but because of a growing fear. Even though we are a sanctuary city, many do not understand what this truly means. Many fear applying for critical benefits such as Medi-Cal, uh, WIC, and even food pantries. We have a food pantry at our site, and we serve over 130 uh, people a week. 
And that's in every, every day people are applying for the, for the food pantry. But even then they ask, are you sure where this food's coming from? Is it federal funding that's paying for this? Are you sure I want to apply for this? I don't really want to give my information. Why are you asking me for that information? And we ask very minimal information. But people are so fearful that even a food pantry is, is a fearful thing to apply for. So um, imagine uh, what that means for a family who needs the food. Um, they fear that it might, by applying, it might impact them negatively, and I believe that many of our previous speakers addressed that issue, that uh, benefits that are not issues of in the past have become something very, very scary for people to apply for. Similarly, the, applying for a driver's license that passed in California AB60, as well as the San Francisco ID, which is a critical document for our immigrant communities to have in case they are stopped by ICE or the police, People are fearful even coming to City Hall. That's how fearful they are. Uh, my role as an advocate, as a social worker, and I believe as many of our colleagues here, is to really educate our families and to kind of lessen. I mean, we can't, we, you know, I can't be in their shoes, but to try to lessen that fear and educate them that certain things, yes, you shouldn't apply because of X, Y, and Z, case-by-case case situation, but that you know, a lot of these programs are still okay to apply for, and you should not be afraid to apply for those services. Um, um, others are fearful of going to other cities that are not necessarily sanctuary cities. Even though some may or may not understand totally what a sanctuary city is, they kind of get that it's a good thing. <laughs> you know, so uh, for cities that they're not sure that they are a sanctuary city, they are fearful of going out on a vacation. I had one client who called me and said, you know, my daughter's on vacation, I think it was last week, and we want to go to the boardwalk in Santa Cruz. Am I going to have problems? My husband says maybe we shouldn't go. Um, so it's, it's, you know, we shouldn't have to live in fear that we are going to be detained while on vacation or applying for critical services. Additionally, we've seen a kite demand uh, about guardianships for our uh, citizen children in case an undocumented parent is either detained or deported. What's going to happen to my child if I get detained or deported? That's what we're being asked. And as a response to this demand, La Raza Community Resource Center will begin hosting forums to address this issue. More than ever, the importance of continued support of our immigrant community is critical. Thank you so much. Thank you, Maritza. May I invite now um, Muana Bergamusa? And I hope I got your name right. If not, please correct me. Hi. My name is Muna Ben Musa. I'm from the Asian Women's Shelter. I'm an Arab Women Services Coordinator. Um, let's see. Um, so I am here to speak about the domestic violence survivors because um, that's the people we work with, and also sexual assault survivors and um, trafficking. Um, so immigration has always been um, a form of power and control used by abusers, but now it's just getting worse. Um, and it's been reinforced by the government, so our clients are very afraid. Um, they're, they're afraid for their safety, but they're afraid to go to court hearings for their custody and divorce cases. Um, and then they're getting, uh, getting penalized because of that. They're getting their kids taken away. Um, Last week, we got a, a caller, actually a crisis caller, uh, a person has a student visa and uh, afraid to leave because of the fear of deportation. Um, so that's, getting, that's on the rise. 
and um, her partner has been using Trump as a fear, as a as a technique now. Um, and also, as I said, I'm an Arab and Muslim um, uh, service woman service provider, uh, coordinator, and so I um, hold uh, support groups for women in the Tenderloin, Yemeni women in the Tenderloin, and also any Muslim women in the Tenderloin, and give skill building classes. And, um, and many of them are afraid to uh, call the law enforcement when, when um, their abusers are at the doorsteps um, because, uh, you know, we tell them to call when they have a restraining order. Um, now they're not calling. They're just uh, letting it happen, and a lot of them are in danger. Um, <clears throat> also, my clients... My Arab clients has formed their own networks on their own, uh, and a lot of the information they have are um, not correct when we check in with them. So we need some correct, well, we give them resources, but they do not trust that the police department in San Francisco will protect them. So they have their own uh, information that they circulate. Um, so we need some accessible and accurate information that we can give our clients and how and somehow um, we need to build trust with the SFPD. Um, I brought some brochures here. I can't stay long, but I brought some brochures. I will leave them over to the side. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Muna. Thank you very much, Muna. Um, that is our next batch of speakers. I am going to open the floor to commissioners to ask any questions. I am going to take three, maximum of four questions, just keeping an eye on time. So, fellow commissioners, do you have some questions? For the, Commissioner. For the speakers? For the speakers. Yes. Um, the, this group of speakers uh, talked a lot about um, their clients or their constituencies being afraid to apply for benefits or to even show up to <clears throat> court dates and, and the like. And I wanted to hear from them or, or any of the other um, agencies here have there been specific instances where your clients have seen or known somebody that was taken because they had applied for a benefit or because they went public with something? I'm just trying to gauge uh, the fear. I mean, there's the general fear. We all know what's happening in the mm -hmm. world. But I'm wondering if your constituencies are also seeing it, like, on the ground, like, around them, um, because that I haven't been hearing that as much. Here, so I just wanted to know if that's is that if that's happening. Please, please introduce yourself. Thank you. Yeah, I'm going to be coming back, and uh, my name is Adubu, and I'm with the African Advocacy Network. Uh, actually, there's always been a confusion in the, the minds of our community members, uh, certainly making the difference. I mean, even back in the days, you know, between what it is to be a public charge and then, you know, uh, take advantage of, you know, the services th that are offered. So that has been going on for quite some time. So there's been this kind of work of education being going on. And then, you know, we have a new um, measures and that have just come, you know, to adapt. So. Uh, it's not something really new, but let's say that, you know, the situation has just worsened. And uh, now, you know, people are afraid of everything. And, uh, and also, you know, someone talked about it. There's, you know, the rumors, you know, in the community, right, what people are telling each other. 
and uh, speaking specifically about uh, African immigrants, when you have some immigrants that are from an oral tradition culture, mm -hmm. so the only thing they rely on as a network for information is talking to each other. They don't read. And most of the time, with the jobs that, you know, they have, they don't really have the time, you know, to watch the news, right, because they get home really late. So I think that, you know, this is definitely something to be worked on and, and you know, some work of study, you know, needs to be done in order really, you know, to describe, you know, the situation and, uh, and uh, uh, subsequently, you know, uh, come up with some solutions. That's what I wanted to add about that. Thank you. Thank you, Adubo. Um, one comment that I have, uh, and it's something that comes up again and again when we take immigrant testimony, is anecdotal versus fact-based. Um, we get a lot of anecdotal testimony, but the, the, the head counts very often make it easier for us to understand and realize the impact. And I know it's a challenge for service providers to have our community come forward and say what the problems are and say what the issues are. But it's certainly something I would like to, to throw it out to community groups, to service providers, as to how we can build this bank of knowledge of how the immigrant community is being affected with specifics. Um, we're all in a non-profit world, we're all in an NGO world, and, and you know, even from a funding perspective, your funder will turn to you and ask, well, what's your headcount? Um, how are you, you know, what's your percentage increase? Just if we could start to think collectively and collaboratively as to how we can build this bank of information and knowledge. Um, I see a lot of nodding heads around the room. It's hard to do, um, but I think it's definitely something as we, and as we speak with the elected officials in the city, um, it's something that they want to know also is, is how, how do we quantify this? Um, we know anecdotally what the fears are. We can feel it. I can hear it in everything that you have said. The one word, I, if we did a word count, I think the one word that kept coming up was fear. Um, so if we can start to think collectively and collaboratively about how we can count that fear um, and use it in our, in, our, in our presentations moving forward. Uh, any other questions, commissioners? I actually have a comment um, referring back to the original five speakers, specifically for Lorena. I just want to say that I really love the question that you posed, what does it look like to be a sanctuary as a people? As a law student, we try to understand our sanctuary city ordinance legally. What, does, what rights does it provide for us as citizens? But the way you framed it, causes us and encourages us to think about what does it mean in a human sense. And I think that that would be a great theme going forward, how we all as people could come together to create the sanctuary for ourselves so that we each give each other a hand so that we can come together during, during these times. So thank you for that. Thank you, Commissioner. Okay, um, hearing no more questions, we are going to, I'm going to call our last remaining speakers. Derek Polka from the San Francisco Marine Food Bank. Ken Tran from United... United Education of San Francisco. United Education of San Francisco. Derek, Sorry about that. Uh, Adubo uh, from the African Advocacy Network. Deirdre Donovan. Uh, who is a community member, uh, ACLU People Power, nice title. Welcome to you, and I believe that your two granddaughters from Guatemala are joining you. Welcome to you too. 
Carlos Porras, uh, Labour Centre for Immigrant Justice, and Sarah Wan from the Community Youth Centre and API Council. So if we could begin with Derek. Angie, did I miss you somewhere? somewhere? Sorry. Angelina, we oh, did. Angelina. We did. Yeah. We did. Oh, sorry. Derek, can I Her swap apology. you out? Would you mind yeah, awfully? Oh. Our, our cards, oh, yes. Yeah. We, we definitely want to hear from you. So I'm thank you for putting sorry, the hand up and thanks <laughs> for your patience. Thank you um, so much. So Angelina Romano with the San Francisco Unified School District, welcome. Thank you. Um, I appreciate the time. Uh, my name is Angelina Romano. I'm a school social worker and program coordinator at San Francisco Unified School District. Uh, since so many of our community members and colleagues uh, spent time talking about the impact on the uh, individual community members and the community at large, I want to spend some time thinking about uh, how it's impacting our school staff. Uh, the, uh, Primarily, the work that I do is coordinating school services with staff, uh, so I just wanted to focus on that. Uh, more than anything, what we have seen, uh, along with fear and anxiety, is distraction. Distraction from the already monumentous and honorable task of educating our city's youth and supporting our families. Instead of doing this, teachers and school support staff are having to spend time coordinating and organizing Know Your Rights events, disseminating family preparedness toolkits so families are prepared if a loved one is detained, having meetings to discuss how to balance their personal and professional ethics with legal requirements, um, and what they might risk to protect their students, amending their school's prices protocols to include contacts with federal agents on school campuses or in their neighborhood, for instance, amending our lockdown, lockout protocols to possibly include law enforcement, having role plays to practice how to tell armed federal officials to please go to 555 Franklin with their warrant, brainstorming ways to talk to elementary and middle school children about what to do when ICE agents knock on your door, asks you questions, or takes a family member away, thinking about ways to support underdocumented families without asking them about their status and without making them more vulnerable or fearful considering whether or not to cancel all field trips for fear of rates, consulting with me about legal questions that none of us are qualified to answer, nor should we have to answer. For instance, again with public charge, asking me if special education services or free and reduced lunch could possibly qualify as a deportable public charge. While I appreciate that crisis is an opportunity for all of us to learn our constitutional rights and become empowered, I know our staff would rather spend its time educating rather than planning how to defend students against the state. I hope this gives you all a small glimpse into how this is impacting our schools and thank a teacher when you see one. I know school staff are looking for reassurance from the city and I hope the city can stand up and offer that. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Angelina. Uh, Derek Polka from San Francisco Marine Food Bank. Welcome, Derek. Good afternoon. Uh, I just wanted to thank everyone for their time and for holding this space. Um, so again, my name is Derek Polka. I'm an outreach worker for the San Francisco Marine Food Bank. I specifically work for the CalFresh outreach team. Uh, and so a lot of the things I've heard today have rang very true for us, especially. 
Um, if you didn't know, CalFresh is the new name for the food stamp program. Uh, and we are constantly trying to educate the public around public charge. Um, and unfortunately, in the past three months, we've had to do that a lot more with a very confused public, a uh, very confused administration. Um, and we really don't know how to respond other than to say nothing has changed and please do not drop your benefits because of your fear. Um, <laughs> these are people who are work, uh, working families. Um, they are working and making um, to really well below the federal poverty line. Um, so that in San Francisco is not much. And so these are people that are putting themselves at risk by going hungry because they're uh, in fear of getting deported. And as others have pointed out, this is a fear that is not grounded in anything that's necessarily true. But um, in, in Spanish, it's called chisme. Um, there's a lot of rumors. Um, there was the uh, ICE agents that went to Good Samaritan Family Resource Center a few months ago. That has evolved to uh, ICE agents went to the women's building. They went to all of these other nonprofits that they never went to. Um, so just, I, I think moving forward, just putting as much information together as possible, as you were pointing out, we need some data, hard data. Um, the Human Services Agency actually has that information about how many people are disenrolling because of the fear of CalFresh uh, and how that might affect their citizenship. So I would recommend working with the Human Services Agency, <clears throat> the Food Security Task Force also. Um, collaborate with those agencies, those organizations, and really put out the real information and just defend our citizens. So, thank you. Thank yeah, you. thank you, Derek. Derek, thank you for your presentation and for that, uh, that excellent suggestion. Um, Ken, from United Education of San Francisco. Good afternoon, commissioners. Right. And I'm Ken Trey from United Educators of San Francisco. So, I'm here to represent the almost 6,500 classroom teachers and school staff, including Angelina, who did such a great job describing the situation in our schools. Um, on a personal note, I've been a uh, resident of the mission since 1979, and I've taught in schools in San Francisco since 1985. And I will say, while there have been uh, ICE raids and immigration issues, uh, we've, we've battled racism, and poverty and the housing issue. Um, I have never seen an atmosphere of fear and foreboding that matches what our kids face in the classroom, but also educators, everyone from the custodians to the principals. There, there is a, uh, an atmosphere that it's really up to those of us in the labor movement, at City Hall, and in the school district to step up and back up our immigrant families. Uh, right now, United Educators of San Francisco is engaged in a um, program based around stable, safe, and supportive schools. So a lot of commonsensical ideas behind that, having a, a veteran teacher in the classroom, having a fully staffed schoolhouse, having reasonable class size, having progressive restorative discipline um, policies and the like. But that all gets destroyed in the moment that we have a student come into the classrooms whose parent disappeared and is over some, in some foreign border, 
um, the fear of, of what our president and the federal government is uh, now um, creating in Washington seeps down to the classroom. And I think Angelina spoke to a lot of the specifics that are going on in the district. I will say that um, as a teacher, and I'm currently the political director of the union, um, between housing and immigration, I am learning a whole lot new on the, on the civic landscape of San Francisco, and teachers are involved in things that we never imagined we'd have to as classroom people. So uh, March 4th at Mission High School, 1,300 people showed up for a day-long training on how to respond to the fears that we've been talking about today. And United Educators teamed up with Bay Resistance and other groups to create that training. There was a workshop for teachers and educators, and it was oversubscribed and overflowing and full of the same kind of issues we're talking here today. So UESF representing teachers and paraeducators, um, resource folks, social workers, and the like are asking the city that we make Sanctuary City a real, real meaningful policy program that will support the kids in our classrooms and help us do the work we need to do. Thank you. Ken, thank you for your testimony. Adubo, welcome back. Nice to see you. Uh, thank you. Um, first of all, I'd like to say that my presence here is a testimony. As you can see, sometimes uh, we tend to forget that, you know, the immigrant community, uh, community is extremely diverse, uh, let alone racially speaking. And uh, particularly about African immigrants, uh, I'm going to speak about immigrants from Africa and those we see as African immigrants. So I'm from the African Advocacy Network. We're the, African, the only African-led uh, entity in the city providing uh, immigration legal services to African and Afro-Caribbean immigrants. And uh, with the new measures, uh, we've experienced it in a very different way. Uh, what I mean is that whatever the measure you take, would it be against Arabs? Would it be against Muslims? African immigrants are impacted by all means. Uh, you're taking people from the Maghreb, uh, the Arab, white, and uh, you're going down, you know, Sub-Saharan Africa, Mali, uh, Senegal, all those countries are more than 75% Muslim. So by all means, uh, we are impacted. So, and, and, and also lately we've seen, you know, an increasing number of African immigrants arriving from the Mexican border. So that creates, again, uh, another load uh, for our work. So being the only entity serving a community where there is no community organizing whatsoever, serving a community which is voiceless and a community which is faceless. So, and for us, you know, being given the opportunity to speak here and think that, you know, it does a lot. And uh, gone is a time when people are speaking about immigrants, everybody was thinking about Mexicans, quote, unquote, right? And I think that today everybody has kind of woken up and then say, oh, it's about us all. And um, so there's fear. And a typical example is uh, a family that went to Guinea, West Africa, and um, the American citizens. And I got a call, you know, from Guinea, from, uh, from Conakry. Basically, before taking the flight back, they were asking me if it was safe for them, you know, to take a flight back. So, uh, and they waited about a week. And I talked to them, I said, yeah, it's okay, you can come, but I guess, you know, they needed to talk to more people. And um, so for us, you know, being 
part of different platforms is it goes beyond, you know, uh, the African advocacy network. So we're part of the San Francisco Immigrant Legal Education Network. We are part of a new collaborative, SFRADC. We're also part of a San Francisco Language Access Network because we're extremely diverse. So we speak all kinds of languages. So that's why at the AN we have four work languages, French, Asian, Creole, Amharic, and, and Arabic, and, um, and uh, the Tigrinya. So uh, in this new landscape, we had to look at our community and come up with a certain number of things. First of all, let's not forget why these immigrants are here. So for someone from a country where you cannot afford to answer a question from a law enforcement agent, telling this person you have the right to remain silent is not obvious at all, right? Because there's some country is going to go to prison for that. You can get beat up. You, you can even get killed, you know, because you refuse to, to, uh, to answer such a question. So we strongly believe that, you know, educating the community is going to take us, you know, going back, um, several times, you know, to keep repeating the same information. I was saying it a few minutes ago that, you know, people rely on, uh, um, you know, word of mouth. And so, you know, to help them, you know, correct and even believe that, you know, they have a right to remain silent, you know, that takes a lot. And also another thing that we've noticed that for whatever reason, people feel safe at churches or, you know, at places of prayers. So we've been thinking, is there a way that, you know, we can, I mean, the, the commission, for instance, can bring together all the leaders of, you know, religious groups, you know, whatever they create. Because we think that, you know, these are the people talking to the community on a weekly basis. So if they are educated and given the basics that they need to include in their sermons so that every Sunday they keep repeating the same thing, I think that you know, that can be there, there can be a change because they trust you know the pastors they trust the leaders. So these are a few of the things I wanted to add. But again, you know it's extremely important that you know we speak more and more about the hotlines. These are realities that people don't know in their countries. This is totally new. So you know what means can we should, do we need to put out there and educate more people about the hotlines? Well, there's more to say, but thank you so much, you know, for giving me speaking. Uh, it's an opportunity to speak on behalf of an entire community. Thanks. Thank you. Adubo, thank you. And please know that you, your community is not voiceless and it's not faceless. We're here to, to stand with you and to support you. So please, we welcome you to come and testify with us at, at any of our commission hearings. We would be delighted to have you back. Um, our next speaker is Deirdre Donovan. Welcome, Deirdre. Thank you very much for the opportunity to be here today and to speak with you. I appreciate the fact that this commission provides a clearinghouse and a forum for community engagement, literally, um, and to get clarity on many questions that people in the movement that I'm currently participating in have. Uh, I came here because I attended and volunteered for the ACLU People Power Action Event that was initiated at the end of February. We had a meeting in uh, March uh, nationwide with more than 200,000 attendees and over 7,500 events nationwide. Um, and the small group that I'm working with, uh, here in San Francisco, there are, uh, I believe, uh, over 100 of these 
organizations, small individual house party sorts of organizations, activists who have an enormous amount of energy and desire to help and need the kind of clearinghouse and connection point that this uh, system, this organization provides. So the specific action items that the ACLU People Power Movement wanted to present both to the police commission and to community engagement organizations are the model state and local law enforcement policies and rules. It's my personal view that San Francisco subscribes to these um, and we would like to confirm that. The judicial warrant rule that officials should require a judicial warrant prior to detaining an individual or in any manner prolonging the detention of an individual at the request of ICE or CBP. The no facilitation rule, officials shall not arrest, detain, or transport an individual solely on the basis of an immigration detainer or other administrative document issued by ICE or CBP without a judicial warrant. The defined access interview rule, unless acting pursuant to a court order, or a legitimate law enforcement purpose unrelated to the enforcement of a civil immigration law. No official shall permit ICE or CBP agents access to facilities or persons in custody for investigative interviews or other investigative purposes. And the clear identification rule, to the extent ICE or CBP has been granted access to uh, facilities, individuals with whom ICE or CBP engages will be notified that they are speaking with ICE or CBP and ICE or CBP agents shall be required to wear duty jackets and make their badges visible at all times while in facilities. So we've spoken to the police at, in community meetings um, and uh, we understand that the sheriffs are the folks who have most of the connection with this particular issue because they are the folks who are responsible for custody and detention. So we'd like to bring that to your attention. Um, I realize that you're very busy, but I just have a couple more points that I'd like to mention. One is that um, we are very interested in the possibility of whether this rapid response hotline is expanding to other counties, and I'm certainly going to interact with the folks whose business cards and documentation I've received here today. Um, the other is that these are my grandchildren. They're six, 16 and 12. They're documented. Um, but they have family members and friends who aren't. And in all their communities, it makes a difference what you all are doing and what the folks in all these agencies are doing. So I'm very, very appreciative of that on a very personal level. Um, from a different perspective entirely, I worked for immigration for 11 years in the 1980s, and I worked in the legalization program for five of those years, uh, known as Amnesty, the IRCA Act of 1986. And I am hopeful that the opportunity for actual communication and understanding and moving forward to another situation similar to that is available in the future and that San Francisco is a leader in that movement. Thank you. Deirdre, thank you very much. Um, your passion um, just goes to show that this is not about, it's, this is not about organizations, it's about people. So thank you for your time and your commitment and your activity um, as part of, of, of keeping our immigrant community safe in the city and county. Thank you. Our next speaker is Carlos Porras from the Labour Centre for Immigrant Justice. Welcome, Carlos. 
Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, my name is Carlos Porras. I'm a program coordinator at the Labor Center for Immigrant Justice. We write San Francisco. We probably one of the young uh, community organizations here and probably in, uh, in the hall. Uh, however, we have hit the ground running. Uh, one of our missions is to provide a stop, one-stop legal services and wraparounds to our immigrant union workers and their families. Uh, we definitely do support uh, all the work that the city has been doing and continue doing uh, to maintain the sanctuary status in our city, as well as putting the funds necessary to provide immigration services to all our brothers and sisters in the union sector. I'd like to highlight at this time some examples of work issues that we have encountered in relation to our immigrant workers. So I'm trying to give you not my story, but folks that are working with uh, in the center. Uh, so Saul, he's a 30 years union member. He's a truck driver. Uh, he's been told by his employer last month after 30 years employment that his employment has been terminated uh, because he did not have an uh, unexpired employment authorization card even though he had submitted an application for a new one. Uh, so like his family has gone for last four months without a paycheck. For the last three months, doing part to his new administration and friendly immigration environment. Uh, Jose has, is a hotel worker who lives in Richmond, California, who is unable to obtain a San Francisco city ID card because he does not live in San Francisco, even though he spends a third of his life here in the city. Jose told me, I will feel more confident with a San Francisco City ID card in order for me to do commercial transactions in San Francisco. Ernesto was told by a San Francisco airport officer that he cannot go back to work inside the airport until he can show an unexpired unlawful permanent wrestling card. Lucky for Ernesto, he already submitted an application to get a new um, a uh, lawful permanent resident card, and with our help and with a legal uh, counseling, he was able to return to work in two weeks. A group of undocumented workers, non-union, are being currently harassed and abused in a commercial facility 20 minutes away from San Francisco. Without legal counseling to inform them of their rights, the workers will continue to be abused and discriminated. Marco, for the last 40 days, could not work because he got hurt and could no longer afford to pay his rent or, or his union dues and being able to go back uh, to roll call and get his, uh, his job. After three and a half weeks, uh, Marco was able to return back to work. We were able to assist him in paying some of his union uh, dues, some of his rent, and he was able to now go back to work, being able to continue making his payments, his rental payments on a weekly basis in a hotel in the Tenderloin, as well as getting his health plan, uh, his benefit health plan uh, back, and he's able to take his medicines and continue being a, a positive member of society. Jesus, a, a non-union worker, was able to obtain legal counseling and was released on a bail bond from USCIS custody. Now Jesus has a fighting chance to fight for his case. So this is just like a few of the folks that we work in uh, in the center in providing different levels of uh, services. So as you have probably here today, it's just not only the legal piece, we, we're trying to, to fill the, the gap, uh, but also is the health portion, is the housing portion, is additional services that our immigrant workers need. So uh, we really again appreciate your help. And just to 
close it out on my samples. Uh, just last Friday, I got a new uh, client who was afraid to complete a five-page application intake because he was panicked and afraid to provide any sort of additional information to me so I can hook him up with an attorney for, for a, for a, to get a legal evaluation about his, uh, his uh, condition. And he was a permanent resident, has legal status. So that's the fear uh, that our community is facing today. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Carlos. Uh, our next speaker is Sarah Wan, Community Youth Centre and API Council. Good afternoon, Commissioner. Thank you for this speaking opportunity. Um, I'm speaking here today on behalf of the API Council, Asian and Pacific Islander Council. It is a 40-member organization citywide coalition that collectively we serve over 250,000 API residents in San Francisco. We also advocate for equitable policies and also resources on behalf of the API community in San Francisco. Given the state of the current environment on APIs across multiple dimensions related to immigration, religion, LGBT issues, the API Council currently is launching a three-year initiative, including three major key activities to respond to these threats. First, we would like to build upon the power of the API community and increase key community engagement strategies including voter registration and educating API residents on their rights and response to emerging changes in immigration and other federal policies. While public attention has focused particularly on the undocumented immigrant population, we are equally concerned about federal policies which will impact the larger API population, which including potential efforts to reduce income or health benefits to legal permanent residents, tie federal housing resources to immigrant status, or impose re restrictions on all immigrants to health care service. Secondly, we we'll also would like to serve as a central clearinghouse for current, uh, for current information on the federal policies which are important to our community. We'll utilize our websites, provide language-appropriate information bulletins, and also utilize our relationship with the ethnic media and social media to maximize our outreach. Last but not least, we'll also hope to assess the demographic changes occurring in the API community due to income inequality, housing displacement, and harmful federal policies while building capacity to plan for maximum participation in the census 2020. Um, there is a 2016 policy link report predicted San Francisco's racial diversity will decline from its current 58% minority population to 45% by the year 2040, with the API population declining from 34% to under 28%, due primarily to income inequality, housing costs, and also housing displacement. And we even have a greater fear under the Trump administration that will make the future of San Francisco even more racial and economic diversity worse. So we hope to work together with the department, with the commission to really counter these coming up challenges. And also as a closing, I would like to invite all commissioners and also public to attend the API Council reception on May 17 to actually review a digital storytelling pre-screening uh, at, uh, at Center for our Asian American Media and also get to talk to a lot of our members. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Sarah. Um, at this point, I would like to open to my fellow commissioners for any questions or comments for our last group of speakers, uh, which were Derek from San Francisco Marine Food Bank, Ken from United Educators of San Francisco, 
Adubo from African Advocacy Network, Deirdre Donovan, ACLU Community, uh, Carlos Porres from Labour Centre for Migrant Justice, and Sarah Wan from API Council. Colleagues. Commissioner Wang. Uh, uh, this question is for the, uh, the last speaker, the API Council. I would like to know that do we have uh, uh, statistics uh, and the data to demonstrate the substantial e effects on society of the governor, government's uh, broad enforcement net. Like, uh, how many legal non-immigrants and uh, immigrants have been or would potentially be negative, uh, negatively affected? Do we have any kind of a... Uh, I don't think we have uh, collective data yet, and that's something we're working on as part of our strategies, actually doing data collections on all these issues. We know that one-third of the undocumented population is an API, API community, but we act, uh, there has been advocacy group among our members, including like Chinese for Affirmative Action, Asian Law Caucus, and many other members working with these populations. But I think it will take us more time or actual efforts to hopefully that we'll collect those data in the future. Thank you. I'm very glad to hear that API uh, wanted to serve as uh, uh, the central clearing house uh, for the information. It's, it's going to be very helpful. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. Any other questions or comments? Hearing none, I would like to sincerely thank all of the speakers who came this afternoon. Uh, you have been with us for uh, almost two hours, and your time, your dedication today and every day is appreciated by everyone on the Commission and everybody within the city and county of San Francisco. It is your dedication, it is your commitment to your communities, it is the time that you give that provides so much support, so much care uh, for the immigrant population. We've heard so much about fear, foreboding, rumours today that it just highlights how much work we have to do. Uh, but also, I want to acknowledge how much work you have done. Um, and we encourage continued and increased future collaboration among community groups and with the Commission and with the city and county as we all strive to the common goal of keeping our immigrant community safe. At this point, there is an, uh, an opportunity for members of the public to directly address the Commission on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter, of, subject matter jurisdiction of the Immigrant Rights Commission. Members of the public may address the Commission for up to three minutes. Are there any members of the public who wish to comment this evening? Adubu, come back to us, and then I believe we have one more speaker. Okay. Oh, yeah, so I just, um, there was a point I didn't have the time to touch on is uh, the fact that, you know, this entire situation has created another issue which existed before, but now, you know, scammers are out there more than ever, right? And we know that, you know, this is what they like, you know, so they have praise out there. And we see community members telling us, oh, I've received a phone call. And sometimes they say they're calling from the uh, IRS. Sometimes they say that, uh, some of them will even say that they're calling from the INS. 
um, and others will say they're calling from USCIS. So, and uh, the, what I really wanted to add is, you know, we really need to keep thinking, right? Because this is an ongoing thing, right? It's not going to stop. And then, you know, if in addition to the fear that exists, then, you know, you have scammers around and only God knows, you know, how many people are being scammed. And then another thing that I would like us, you know, to document is how do law enforcement agents, you know, react in front of the, the you know, the, the red card, right? So we keep telling community members, oh, yeah, okay, show them the red card. And, and some of them, when they get it, you can tell that, you know, yeah, right, yeah, I'm going to put it in my wallet, but I'm not sure I should be doing that. So, and I think that it's going to be very interesting to find out, okay, how do law enforcement, you know, how law enforcement agents, you know, react, would it be the police or even ICE? And uh, this is something I think we need to document. Thank you. Thank you very much. We have one more speaker, actually, that has just arrived, Ana Herrera from the Dolores Street Community Services. Thank you, Ana. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, I am here to talk about San Francisco's Rapid Response Network. Uh, because Marisela Esparza uh, couldn't make it today. So um, I'm here with Dolores Street Community Services and the San Francisco Immigrant Legal and Education Network, SF Island, and San Francisco Immigrant Legal Defense Collaborative, SFILDC, um, who are now working together. So it's 21 organizations in San Francisco uh, working together to... Um, equip the rapid response network which is built around a 24 7 hotline here in san francisco i think you all have these materials in your packets uh thank you jamie for printing those out um and so it is a four uh four one five two two zero zero one five four eight a phone number um that can be staffed in uh english spanish uh chinese and um arabic uh and someone will always uh, be available to respond and most importantly, go out and verify if there has been any ICE enforcement activity or raid here within the San Francisco city and county limits. Um, and this has been active since February. Um, and we've had within, I just, I know the first two week span, there was already over 200 calls. Um, a lot, most of the calls are folks calling in for more information. So they're not actually reporting the raids, uh, but it's important to have this outlet so that we've been able to verify, oh no, there was not actually ICE activity here or there was ICE activity here. And we have in fact responded to two ICE enforcement actions within San Francisco since the hotline was launched. And um, so to walk you through the hotline, it's the first step is calling. Um, and if someone is reporting a raid, then uh, uh, trained staff are dispatched to the location to verify if ICE is in fact there. Um, and from then, uh, we make contact with the family members or folks who know about the if someone was detained, uh, because once uh, folks are detained, they are sent to 630 Sansom, which is the local ICE processing center here in San Francisco. And uh, once they're at 630 Sansom, uh, community-based organization attorneys from uh, SF Island and SFLDC will go to the ICE processing center to try to halt any deportation and provide legal advice. Um, and so that is how, how it works. And um, I don't know if any if folks have any questions about the, the rapid response system here in San Francisco. I have a couple, okay. if I may. Yes. Um, so, uh, volume of calls that you have seen, um, I would assume at the 
have things are the numbers up uh, have they have they stayed consistent was it busier at the beginning has it settled down and do you, do you guys have a count on how many calls you have received so I um, uh, I don't know that information because I'm not one of the agencies that has um, is tasked with handling the calls um, and like I said uh, Marisela who's handling she's the SF Island program manager um, she'll be back later this week and she can answer because we have this uh, really great software that actually um, an undocu undocumented uh, software engineer came up with us uh, that tracks all the calls and also has um, a good service where unfortunately we've also people calling with calling to kind of like uh, troll or like uh, make yeah. false statements or just say really horrible things, you know, um, it has a blocking feature, which has been really good. So she can, we can give you that data, but from what I could tell, it just depends. But at the beginning, there was a, a huge amount of calls. Um, I think they've slowly started to taper off, but still a consistent amount of folks calling. And they might be not even from San Francisco. Um, maybe they're calling from Alameda, which also now has another rapid response. So we're able to connect them there or give them some type of services throughout the rest of California. Limited, because um, not, not as many areas have as many resources as we have here in San right. Francisco. Understood. And in terms of r rumors, because um, I certainly know in my community, we've had a number of phone calls about a nice blockade on the freeway outside Sacramento or this, that and the other. Uh, how are you handling rumors? How is that information being distilled and how is that being shared with the public? Um, is this something that you guys have thought of and that's currently in place? Yes, definitely. That is uh, why the verification is so important. So we encourage before you click the share button on Facebook or you text your friends that someone else told you that they heard that ICE was here, you call the hotline for verification before you do that so we can stop spreading the fear in the community. Uh, because we know, you know, there's been reports of people see police or muni officers, they get confused. Um, and that's part of ICE's tactics as well, you know, which is too bad um, and something we're working on. Um, but that's important. We want them to call in so that we can dispel that uh, a rumor. That's and and how are you putting that back out into the community? So we're using social media, so Twitter, Facebook, to verify or n dispel if, a, if an ICE raid has been reported. Okay. okay. Excellent. Thank you, Anna. Yes. Commissioner Maldonado. Hello, Anna. Um, I just wanted to get your um, opinion or, you know, if you think that there is a need uh, to have more information and education about our the number and, you know, what has, you know, the SF filing discussed or if there is any push to make sure that as many people as possible have the number to call. Yes, when we first uh, went live, there was a press release, um, and we we had a lot of press coverage. Uh, but you know, I still think that we, we should maintain that momentum moving forward, so people don't lose the number. So I um, and we don't have you know uh, publicity or so we, we could use some help with that if people wanted to help us if the city wanted to help us continuing to like maintain this number so folks know about it cool yeah absolutely absolutely good question good suggestion <laughs> thank you both any other questions or comments for Anna or for any of our speakers um, I wonder um, if 
you've encountered any um, calls from that are d redirected from 911 or 311? Do like do those agencies know that they can call you guys also? I don't know um, because what, before we launched the number, we were thinking about how to plug it in with the 311, but they weren't that receptive to it, and we kind of just we had to strike, um, so we we launched our own number. But um, I don't know. We'd have to ask. I know that my own agency is redirected through 311 when people ask mm -hmm. for legal services, but I don't know how to get in contact with the 311 okay. folks to let them know. That'd be great. Yeah, because I'm just wondering if people who are concerned, they're the only numbers they have in their heads are like 911. Right. That something's happening next door, and I wonder where that information goes. Right. If it even gets acted upon. Right. I'm going to defer that to Director Pan. Uh, can you shed any light? Anna, we'd be happy to have our office connect you to 311. We have a close relationship with them, and I'm sure we can work something out. Okay, that sounds great. Thank you. Thank you. Seeing no more questions, Anna, thank you very much. Delighted thank to have you. you with us. Thank you. Um, I'm going to do one last call for public comment. Seeing none. Uh, the next item on our agenda is I could find my agenda, is old business. Is there any old business to discuss this evening? Director Pan. Yes. Commissioners, just a real quick item. Um, you have before you a very heavy but really good report of the uh, language access results uh, based on our language access ordinance requirements. And just a reminder from staff, uh, please don't forget how important language access is to all of the work that uh, we're, we're doing today and all of the work that our community members have shared with us. Um, people can't understand information that is being distributed and they don't get timely, accurate information. It's critical to their lives, to their safety and the whole city's safety. So please continue to advocate for that. Thank you, Director, and I would like to congratulate you and staff on this report. Um, having looked through, I won't say right in detail, um, a number of them over my four years on the Commission, I am very impressed with how quickly accessible the information is by department with the graphics that you have used in this. So thank you all. There is a huge amount of data that has been distilled uh, and, and published in this report. So congratulations to you all. Thank you. And I'd just like to give a shout out to two members of our staff who are critical in helping us put this together. You know, oftentimes we write the narratives and um, we prepare the reports. Um, and the people that really support it, um, making that happen, don't get thanks. So I want to thank Melissa Chan, our office um, manager, for really being the fine eyes and ears um, and catching all of our many typos. And of course, our in-house talented graphic designer um, and commission clerk, uh, Jamie Richardson, for being the graphic artist. Um, not only that, but <laughs> keeping us all in track uh, being, you know, the staff's uh, guide through this process. So thank you to the two of you very much. Thank you, ladies. Congratulations. Um, any other items on old business? 
Seeing none. Oh, uh, I'm sorry, oh, sorry. commissioners, Director. one more item on, um, I thought Commissioner Fuentes was going to do oh. this. On uh, April 22nd, uh, we will be having, is it Richard, the 24th? Um, San Francisco Pathways to Citizenship um, workshop. It is absolutely free to members of the public. If, if you know anyone who wants to volunteer, all you wonderful ACLU uh, volunteers, if you would like to help us out or direct your friends and relatives who are interested in applying for citizenship, it is absolutely 100% free. Uh, we have uh, lawyers, volunteers, lay people, our office at the Microsoft headquarters at 1355 Market Street, and we have flyers, I believe, at the table up there. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Thank you for uh, highlighting that, Director, and an encouragement to community providers spread the word among your uh, members. Uh, it's an amazing opportunity to get um, top-class free legal expertise uh, to get your citizenship application filed and in today's world it is uh, it's important to do so um, do we have any new business this evening seeing none um, I would like again to thank you all for sharing your stories and insights the Commission salutes all of you and the work that you do to care for the very broad and diverse immigrant community that we have in San Francisco. We also thank the staff of the Office of Civic Engagement and Immigrant Affairs for making tonight's hearing possible and to SFGovTV um, and the Office of the City Administrator for its support. The Immigrant Rights Commission is now adjourned. <laughs>